Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Now, I I would need to warn you guys. How many of you are walking, you've been walking through a trial for quite a while? Like, you've been going through something for quite a while. Okay, well, um, I don't know if this Bible study is going to bless you or if it's going to bother you, all right? Um, But I want you to know that um, there is someone that has gone through a trial longer than you, okay? And we're going to understand who he is today. And I've also want to let you guys know, we're going to be in Hebrews for a long time. I just want to put that out there. Um, I was going to like speedily get through Hebrews chapter 11, but I've decided every character needs to be discussed. So we may be in Hebrews 11 until next Christmas. I don't know, but I just want you to no double dippers that we are going to learn Hebrews 11 by the end of this uh, series. And so uh, it's Hebrews 11, amen, Genesis chapter 5, as well as Matthew chapter 6. Once again, Genesis 5, Matthew 6. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful to be in the house of God. And Some of us have come tonight just in desperate need of you. Maybe the week, uh, not so great. Maybe there's been some marital confusion or uh, a struggle. But we come knowing, just even as Nini prayed, through our worship... You just, you cleanse us. And so I pray that you'd give us ears and to hear and a heart to understand. Because sometimes in this life, there's things we just don't get. Like, why would you allow this trial to continue? Why would you put me through this experience? You're a loving God, and so we trust you. We really trust you. But as humans, sometimes we just don't understand you or your ways. They're just so much higher than our own. But we know in our weakness we can come to you. So here we are. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 11, we've made it all the way to verse 5. It's our fourth week in Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, would you take a look at verse 5? By faith. Stop there. By faith. You see, the writer has told the believers that they have a need of two things. Directed by the Holy Spirit, says you have need of endurance in chapter 10, and you also have need of faith. I need to remind you, it's been 30 years since the ascension of Jesus since this book was written. And these Christians have endured many trials, some in jail. Some of them have been plundered. 
Some of them have been whooped and beat. They have gone through quite an experience over the 30 years since the ascension. And I want to rest assured and let you know that the only way to learn endurance is to get through a hard workout, to pass a difficult class, get a degree, or finish a work project. In fact, just Tuesday, my daughter graduated with a bachelor's in nursing, and she's going to be a registered nurse. And so... She's in Fort Lauderdale, and I surprised her, and I flew down there for the day, and she came out in the graduation, and there was dad, you know, and I called her Lelu. I don't call her Elia, and she was a little embarrassed, and I didn't care. It was so great. (laughs) And her husband and I were driving home, and she started talking about getting a master's degree. And I looked at her husband, and I said, whatever you do, tell her no, not now, because it took Both him and me, her mother, her entire family, all eight other siblings to get her through the nursing program. Now my son is going to be a travel nurse, Timon, and now it's taking the entire family to get him through his first semester at Cal Baptist. Let me tell you something. The only way to learn endurance is to go through something the school of hard knocks, in order to learn how to endure. You see, endurance is a trace that is learned in the school of suffering. And let me tell you what God says. You have need of endurance. The Holy Spirit directs that we have need of endurance. Therefore, we need to learn how to endure. But he also says, you need faith. You need faith. You see, they were struggling to trust what God had told them because of their current experience. Now, how many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever been in the midst of a trial and you are struggling to trust God? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Anyone? Like, you know God's promise. You believe in God, but because of the trial, you're beginning to doubt you're beginning to wonder. And that's exactly where these Hebrew Christians were. They were struggling. But if you remember what we learned only a few weeks ago, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Our Christian faith has substance. It's more tangible than the person sitting next to you, though you can't see it. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see, someone who walks by faith, someone who has faith is more than a conqueror, is what the Bible says. They trust God despite the fact of whether or not they can see the victory. Someone who has faith, they trust God. They overcome their feelings and what they're currently walking through, whether it be the doubt, whether it be the discouragement, because they trust God by faith. So when they're mad and their feeling begins to get to take over, by faith they choose kindness. By faith. When they've been wronged and they want to show vengeance, they choose forgiveness by faith. You see, when they're grieved and someone has hurt them, they choose to trust God that he's allowed it for his reason. Now, when I say that, and 
in that sense, all of us need more faith. Amen? Amen. All of us need to pray. Now, let me warn you, if you ask God to add to your faith, be prepared. It's like praying for patience. You will sit in traffic. (laughs) When you ask God to increase your faith, he will provide opportunity for it to grow because faith pleases God. In fact, take a look. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, here's our character, Enoch. Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found. In other words, he was completely gone because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. So here's what he was known for, that he pleased God. But without faith, speaking in relation to Enoch, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he, now speaking to all of us, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch was raptured out of here because his faith pleased God. All of a sudden he was, and then he was not. We are doing a door decorating contest. I think you can see all the doors around here. And our winners have been chosen. Just want to let you know, it was quite a competition around here. In fact, on Tuesday, you should have seen the staff showing up here at 5 and 6 a.m. in the morning to get their doors done by the deadline. Some of them were even stressed out. And I said, you're stressed out because you procrastinated. You had three weeks to do this incredible door. Someone sabotaged my door. It's okay. Pray for Zach. He's not here tonight, so I can say whatever I want. And Adonis, if you take a look at her door in the, in the uh, women's ministry, she's got clouds with feet, shoes. She's got clouds with shoes in the clouds as if the person was raptured. So her door was Adonis asked me to come back this year and it showed someone being raptured. It was ingenious. Loved it. I pray that Adonis is praying that prayer and that we all get raptured out of here. Let the church say, Enoch was raptured out of there. He was and was not. And one day, because of our faith, we are going to be raptured out of here and receive our reward, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the church say, Amen. How many of you are ready for that now? Like, you could go, I'm good with Christmas. You could come tonight. I'm good. I'm good with Christmas. How many of you are like, no, let him wait till after Christmas. Christmas is like my holiday. And once again, we have to remember he's writing to the Hebrews. So the author is assuming a lot of Old Testament knowledge for us to be able to understand what he's trying to encourage them in. So what I want us to do is I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 5 so that we can discover who is this Enoch. Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, you're going to discover why there's not a lot of Enochs running around. He only has a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 5. Would you take a look? Genesis chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And he begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years. 
Okay, this guy was 962 years old. You have to remember, the impact of sin was affecting the world. And so human beings used to live longer because sin had just been introduced to the world through Adam. And the world was created for us to be able to live. So people were living longer at that time. But as we go through this list, you begin to see they were living less and less and less. To now the impact of sin on the world, we make it maybe four score and ten. Now those of you who don't have any idea what that is, about 80. Amen? Maybe 90. So he is there. And the Bible says he had sons and daughters. Verse 20, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Ooh, that should be a name everyone knows. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch, here it is, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, if you know anything about Genesis chapter five, this is the genealogy section, okay, where it takes us from the, the, the line of Adam through Seth all the way to uh, Noah. And that's leading us to the second Adam, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. Genealogy is very important for the Jews because God told Eve something in Genesis chapter 3. Go back just a page, Genesis chapter 3. Look what he tells the snake and Eve. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So apparently, the first couple of kids didn't hurt Eve. And now she's going to realize as she gives birth to the population of the world, it's going to hurt. Now look what God says. Your seed and Eve, you're going to give, you're going to have birth and it's going to hurt now. So genealogy was very important to the Jews, to this line because it would be through this line that the devil would be conquered. And so Genesis chapter 5 is a report of the seed that came from Adam all the way and will stretch to Noah. Now Enoch's father, is where we're focused, his name was Jared. Now that's an important name because names mean something in the Bible. And his name means descent, descent. Now, this is important because the world was descending into the depths of sin. I want you to see it even in the genealogies if you read this. Jared lived and died. Methuselah lived and died. Noah lived and died. In fact, this whole genealogy pronounces the punishment upon the world because of sin, death. We live and we die. We live 
and we die. It seems so pointless unless you've got Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It was so funny. My daughter, um, when she was graduating, she gave her little card to the announcer, and they were allowed to say on the card, and the announcer would read who they're thankful for. So my daughter gave her card, and the woman that was reading was a Jewish lady, and she said, Elia Lowe. She would thank, she would like to thank her Lord and Savior. She couldn't even get the word out. So Elia looked at her and she goes, Jesus. <laughs> it was great testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in front of an audience of people. So I just want to thank the Lord. There's a little parent pride coming out. You can deal with it. The world was descending into sin. Live and die. Live and die. Let me prove it to you. Just go above to Genesis chapter 4. Because in Genesis chapter 4, we have the report of the family of Cain. Cain the murderer. Cain the sinner. Cain the bad boy of the two, Cain and Abel. So let's take a look. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. There's his first mistake. And he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived more Enoch. Uh-oh. This is not the same Enoch. In fact, let's call this guy the anti-Enoch, okay? So we have one line that has the anti-Enoch, and we have one other line through Seth that has the righteous Enoch. Now take a look at Cain's line as we go on in verse 17. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod begot Mahujah, and Mahujah begot Methuselah, and Methuselah begot Lamech. Now that name I want you to hold in your heart. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of those who play at the harp and flute. And as for, and thus we get this word Jubilee, and as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Then, after Lamech gave birth to all these kids, then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice. Listen to me, ladies. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I killed a man for wounding me. Excuse me? Even a young man for hurting me. So the guy that he killed was a younger guy, and he's kind of proud of it. I killed someone younger than me because he tried to hurt me, so I killed him. Now take a look what he says. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Cain gave birth to the anti-Enoch. You see, Cain's heart, Cain's heart was to be great on the earth. So he gave the fruit of his produce. Look who what I can do on the earth. And if it wasn't by produce any longer, because you remember God punished Cain. If it's not by produce any longer, then it's going to be by production. So he built a city and he named the city Enoch because his heart and his mind were on the cities of the earth, not on the city of God. And anti-Enoch, anti-Enoch had walked away from the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the same way his dad did. 
And so he gave birth to his, uh, a son who gave birth to a son and his great-grandson's name was Lamech. And Lamech goes, I killed a guy. I killed a guy. And if God thinks he's strong and he's going to avenge Cain sevenfold, if anyone was to kill Cain, well, I want God to know that Lamech is stronger and I'll avenge someone not seven times like God. I'll avenge someone 77-fold because I'm greater than God. That's what Lamech is saying. That's how far the world had plunged into sin during the days of Enoch the righteous. It was a violent place, a murderous place, an anti-God world. Sound like the 21st century? Nothing new under the sun. In the Because sometimes I think, well, back then it was easier to be a Christian. Are you kidding me? In the midst of this, murderous, violent culture, a rising star emerges to encourage the first century Christian and the 21st century Christian. His name was Enoch. And the Bible says Enoch walked with God and was not. That's Genesis 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God and was not. You see, while everyone was living and dying, living and dying, living and dying, Enoch alone beat death. He got raptured. In fact, he was all gone. They couldn't find him anywhere, not even a piece of him. He was completely gone. His corrupt body became incorruptible. His mortal became immortal, just as Paul reported about the rapture of ourselves. Take a look, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Do you remember Jesus' celestial body? He was able to walk through walls, okay? He was here one place, there another. Celestial and terrestrial. We're not walking through walls yet. You know why? We have terrestrial bodies, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon. So now he gives an example. There is a glory of the sun. It shines by itself. And then there's the glory of the moon. It just reflects the sun. And another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. And he's absolutely right. So also is the resurrection from the dead. Now here's the point. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. I don't know about you, but I'm over 50. And when I sit down, I make noises. And when I stand up, I make noises. When I go down, it's like, oh. When I come up, it's, oh. It hurts. And now, I used to be able to sleep through the night. Now, if I lay on one side, my whole arm goes numb. i got to turn over, stretch it out. It's crazy what's happening to this body. I'm having a personal crisis right now. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and, there's a, uh, and there is a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. In other words, you got to live your four score and ten, and then you get your celestial body. It's just the way that God's designed it. 
And Enoch was raptured out of there, and he was no more the same way that the church one day will be raptured out of here. Think of the cataclysmic events that will happen when the church is raptured. Like, who's going to be flying Delta? Think of the accidents on the 405 when all of a sudden there's no driver. Think of the devastation that's going to happen when the rapture of the church happens. But Enoch was raptured out. His faith was the victory over, the, over death. He conquered the cycle of sin. Live and die. Live and die because he had a faith that pleased God. He beat death. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, you'll live again. He makes it very clear that our faith enables us to beat death. The same victory that Enoch had is the same victory for all of us who walk with God. And the author of Hebrews is using Enoch to encourage the first century Jew. And the Holy Spirit is using Enoch to encourage us. Because just like Enoch, they and we are living in a godless world. They're living in it and so are we. And Enoch in a godless world went through that trial for 365 years he chose to be faithful. I've been going through a trial for a year and I'm asking God, could you please just relieve me of this thing? Some of us have been going through 20 years. Some of you have been going through a trial for 30 years. Enoch walked with God in a godless culture. He went through the trial of standing for God alone for 365 years. Someone match that. And he's writing the Hebrew and he's writing us, the Holy Spirit, letting us know people have been walking with God and suffering for a long time. In fact, Enoch suffered for 365 years. That's a long time. And the believers of the first century world had only been struggling for a maximum of 30 years. The ascension had happened only 30 years prior to this. And he's trying to encourage them to say, Enoch did it for 365, so can you. So Enoch becomes the example of faith. That if he did it for 365, we can do it for our four score and ten. You see, Enoch was so faithful to God that in the midst of this godless culture, he actually wrote a book. It's called First Enoch. Don't know if you know that. There's actually a book called First Enoch. We discover this book in the book of Jude. Take a look at the screen. Now, Enoch... Here he is, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. In other words, Enoch was used of God in his book to say something to the world. Behold, Enoch writes, the seventh from Adam, the Enoch, righteous Enoch we're talking about. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they've committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. For the 365 years Enoch walked with godless people, he sends a letter out to the world. 
you better be warned because God's coming back. You better be warned God's coming back. Now, first Enoch is not found in the Bible, but I told you it's one of three books. It's a series. There's first Enoch, second Enoch, and third Enoch. You can download them online and you could read them. First, second, and third Enoch. Now, Enoch wrote only the first one. The other two books were written centuries later, and they refer to Enoch, so they've been given the name 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Enoch. And all of the books are very apocalyptic in nature. In other words, they all talk about end times, written over centuries. And their connection is they all surround around the character of Enoch. And even though these books are not in our Bible, the Holy Spirit picked two verses out of the first book and said, these verses are inspired. And I'm going to make sure that they get in the inspired Bible. And Jude, who was heavily influenced by the apocalyptic end times nature of these books, he quotes Enoch in his book. Enoch was warning the world of a coming judgment because of their sin. So much so did Enoch stand in the midst of a trial for 365 years. He named his son Methuselah. Now, who knows Methuselah? Everyone know Methuselah? He was the oldest man that we know that ever lived. And he named his son Methuselah. I don't know if you know this. Methuselah was a prophetic name. His name means when he dies, judgment. When you add up all of the years in Genesis chapter 5, you will discover that on the year of the flood was the year of Methuselah's death. That's why only Noah and his family went in because all the others had died, the righteous line. Enoch was prophesying through the name of his child. No one else was walking with God in the world. Enoch alone was walking with God. How many of you in the midst of your trial, you feel so alone? You feel like you're walking through it by yourself, that no one cares. Imagine Enoch walking for 365 years in the midst of a world that hated God with a Lamech mentality. I'm greater than God. This is the world that Enoch was walking in. Believers were a minority then as believers are a minority today. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is saying, just because the majority is against you doesn't make them right. Doesn't make them right. You ever feel like everyone's laughing at that joke but it's not funny. It's ungodly. Everyone loves that movie, but I shouldn't go see it. Do you ever feel that way? Like, why does everyone think this is good when it's not good? This is the issue that they were walking through. But Enoch, he walked with God and he received his reward. You know what his reward was? He got to be with God. God was his reward because God was all he wanted. 
And at first, when you hear that, you might think, wow, Enoch had to be a really righteous guy. I mean, he probably was a monk. I mean, all he probably did was pray and talk to God like all of his life. That must seem, I mean, he had to be almost perfect. Well, look, take a look at this. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Look who else walked with God. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was just a man, perfect in his generation, good guy. Noah walked with God. The same thing that's said about Enoch is said about Noah. But Noah also walked with God, but he went through 120 years of building a boat and then went through the hardest trial that the world had ever known, a cataclysmic flood. Now, I know you guys think that Noah was in that boat going, singing Kumbaya. I know you guys are in Noah, Mrs. Noah, and all the other Noahs. I know that you think they were in there going, Kumbaya, my Lord. There's the rain, Kumbaya. Let me tell you something. When that big old boat began to move and they had no idea what they were in darkness, there was no electricity, there was nothing going on in that ark beside darkness. And when that boat began to move because water, which they had not seen that kind of rain ever happen before, when that boat began to move, let me tell you something. They weren't singing Kumbaya. They were probably thinking what you think in the midst of your trial. So why would God have Enoch be translated, be raptured out of here, but yet Noah would have to go through this trial? It wasn't that Enoch was better than anyone else's faith. That's not the issue of Hebrews 11. It was simply the plan that God had for Enoch because of his faith. In the same way, if our generation is raptured out, it's not because our generation is more perfect than the generation that was before us. It's just God's plan because of our faith. Now, church, please know it wasn't that Enoch was this righteous monk kind of guy. Enoch was a father. He had to raise his kids. And he probably had naughty children. Enoch was a husband. Probably got into a fight with his wife. I mean, that's just what happens sometimes in marriage. It's just what happens sometimes when you're raising kids. So it wasn't that Enoch had never made a mistake. It's that his heart was for God. And there's something that I need you to know about Enoch. His name doesn't mean descend like his dad. His name means dedicated. Enoch was dedicated to his faith. He was dedicated to walking with God in a godless world. Hebrews tells us that kind of faith of Enoch, it pleases God. And isn't that our aim? Isn't our aim to please God? Isn't it our aim that no matter what we walk through, no matter how long it is that we choose to trust God, even in the midst of our doubt, even in the midst of our concern, even while we're on the cross and we may say like Jesus, why have you forsaken me? But yet our faith is secure in God alone. You see, it also reveals not only that he had this faith that pleases God, but Hebrews chapter 11 tells us how to have this faith and to walk by the faith that Enoch had, no matter how long your trial goes. Go back with me to Hebrews. Let's see it. Hebrews chapter 11. Now we'll pick it up there in verse 6. We see that Enoch was not to be found because he had a testimony that pleased God. Look at verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Take a look at the first. There's only two. For he who comes to God 
must believe that he is. Hebrews 11, 6, it makes it simple. It boils it down to two things that we can follow Enoch's faith in. Two things. The first is this. We must believe that he is. Now, this first point, it's more than just a simple belief, there's a God. We have to understand the context that this is in. A lot of people believe in God. Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. But we're talking in the context of the faith of Enoch. Enoch walked with God 365 years and he had a testimony over 365 years. More than Job. He had a testimony of 365 years of pleasing God by making righteous decisions over the course of a trial that lasted 365 years. You see, this kind of faith is believing what God has said about himself in what he's told us about himself in Scripture. It's the belief of his existence. But not only is it a belief of his existence, the belief of his existence is proved in our desire to please the awesome God of the Bible, just like Enoch. You see, I'm going to put a statement on the screen, and maybe you'll write it down. Our belief in him constrains us to become who he is and restrains us from becoming who he's not. That's what our belief is. It loves what is good. It hates what is evil because God does. It, it goes the second mile because God did. It forgives those who have wronged us because Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. You see, what God has revealed about himself, if we believe it's proven by our behavior, it's believing that he is. It trusts like a child that Jesus is the way to do life. He's the truth about life and it can be discovered every day and that one day he'll be the provider of eternal life for you and for me. See, we got to believe that he is and faith has a work and the work is that we want to please him as we discover who he is by what he's told us. But I told you there's two things. Take a look at the second one. It's not complicated. We must believe that he is. Now take a look at verse 6 again. And, number two, that, is a reward, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A diligent pursuit of God pleases him. Being a double dipper pleases him. Now, this word has the picture of a woman losing her wedding ring. I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube of the woman whose wedding ring went down the bathroom sink. She literally tears the sink off the wall. You know why? She's diligent to find it. Do you remember the story of the lost coin in Luke chapter 15? And the woman tore her house apart. She cleaned everything until she found the coin. You know why she was diligently looking for that coin? Because the coin was the wedding ring. You know the Middle Eastern cultures where they wear the coins like beads on their head? When you got married, that was your wedding ring. 
It let everyone know, now you are married and you're showing off your hair that you never showed off before. And so she lost a piece of her wedding ring. She lost a diamond in her ring. She was tearing the, she was diligently searching for that ring. And as soon as she found that coin, she told everyone, they rejoiced. She found her wedding ring. She couldn't keep it to herself. She had to tell everybody, I found which was lost. She was diligent about it. And I want you to keep this picture in your mind because listen to what God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. He says this. This is God talking to us. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you give it everything you got. Now, come on, gang. We understand this. I know sometimes we don't, we, we understand it in the material, but we don't understand it in the spiritual. So let me break it down for us. When a football player expects the championship reward, he's got to show up to practice. He's got to be diligent. He's got to, he's got to show up to get the reward. What student expects the reward of passing a test without studying? What business partner expects to land the deal without even making the phone call? What church member thinks revival will come when we're not willing to invite our friends to church. See, we understand it in the material. We just need to connect it to the spiritual. A diligent search for God, a diligent search for God is dedicated to being constantly connected to his word, consistently in communion with God in prayer, and carefully conforming to his will. You're going to see this statement on the screen. Listen, a diligent search for God is dedicated to being constantly connected to his word, consistently in communion with God in prayer, and carefully conforming to his will. Now, I need to let you know this does not mean we become monks. I already told you, Enoch wasn't. He was a husband. He was a dad. He, was, he, he had to deal with issues. He was just a normal guy that made God his priority. Isn't that the whole point of the book of Colossians? That we make Christ first in our life? So God says, listen, you're going to find me when you diligently search for me with everything you've got. That's what God says. So Jesus comes along, and Jesus gives us the practical way to diligently seek him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll see it. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to spend a little time here. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick it up there in verse 33. And maybe you'll write down these seven quick points because I want you to see how Jesus gives us the practicals of what it means to diligently seek after God. Matthew chapter 6, I asked you to turn there earlier. Let's take a look at verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek, say it with me, but seek Make God your priority, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, seek God about all matters of life and then do what he tells you to do. And all these other things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Number one, if you're taking note, make seeking God your priority over all things. Make seeking God. 
Have you ever read First and Second Kings? Let me tell you what. The, let me sum up the whole book. The leaders that sought God were successful. The leaders that did not uh, seek God, they failed. That's the whole two books in one fell swoop. Make seeking God your priority. And Jesus tells us there's a huge benefit. If we seek God as our priority, we won't worry. We'll have peace. Philippians chapter 4 tells us we'll have a peace that passes understanding. That's like a new realm where you can't even explain the peace that you're living in. I have no idea during COVID why Christians were crazy. Selling their homes in California and moving to Montana and Wyoming and everywhere else. And now they're selling on the homes in Montana and Wyoming because they went through one winter. Want to come back to California? Deserters, they should stay there. I'm kidding. Come back. We'd love to have you. Just don't tell us you left. Blows my mind. When Jesus says, my peace, not the world's peace, my peace I give you. We have the peace of God. And if you're not at peace, that's not God's problem because he's given you peace as a gift. The problem is you. And so what God says is, if you have and you're anxious, then pray. And you'll get a peace that passes understanding. Make seeking God your priority. It has a great benefit. You'll live in peace. Secondly, Look what he says in Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly, that's important, then you'll see clearly, after you've dealt with your own sin, then you'll see clearly to remove, or you'll know exactly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Number two, if you're taking note, we will become more graceful like him. You will find yourself, if you're really seeking after God, that you will become more graceful. You see, we've been born again. And that, what that means is we got God's DNA. Now, you know what's amazing? The older and older I get, the more and more I look like my father. Same is true spiritually. The older and older we get in the Lord, we should be looking now more like our spiritual father. And he is a God of grace. Not legalism. Not judgment. We're going to start to remember, resemble God. He's our parent, and he's graceful. You see, when we are seeking him, you're also going to realize something else and why you're going to grow in grace. When you're seeking after God, you're going to realize you've got issues. And you're looking at everybody else. You're a sin sniffer. I smell the sin on him. <laughs> But if you're seeking God, you're going to realize the odor is you. Have you ever been sitting next to someone on a plane? You're like, man, B.O. And then you stretch and go, whoa, it's me. (laughs) Ever happen? Personal story. Sorry about that. 
You see, sometimes we've got to realize that if we're living in judgment, we're not seeking him. Because he's a graceful God. But if we are seeking him, we're going to realize we got things to deal with so that when we see things in other people, once we've dealt with it ourselves and experienced the grace and the mercy of God, we'll know how to take the splinter out of someone else's eye. It'll be with mercy. It will be with grace. Because none of us want the wrath of God the way we want to give it to other people. Number three, take a look at Matthew 7, 6. He says this, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Do you remember Jesus? He didn't do, speak or do any magic tricks for Herod when Herod said, Show me a trick. He didn't throw his pearls to swine. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. See, if you're seeking him, you're going to become more discerning. You're going to become more discerning. Now, we already studied this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you see what's happening? As we begin to seek him and he begins to communicate to us things in his word, we're going to be able to look and go in something and go, that's good. That's not so good. That's actually evil. Oh, that's good. That's not so good. You ever been to a wedding? And the couple's walking down the aisle and you go, man, that's good. But have you ever been to a wedding where the couple's walking down the aisle and you're like, this has got about a year. (laughs) Nobody wants to admit it, but you all laugh, so (laughs) it hit. You see, when we are seeking God, we're going to become more discerning. And because we have a desire to please him, we'll use that discernment to make honorable decisions. Now, I told you there were seven. We got part two next week. God bless you. I know you're the double dippers, but it is 830. Isn't it? (laughs) Three people have already left, Jocelyn, so we're going to close it out for the night. Listen, do you begin to see what's happening? Jesus is practically giving us what it means to seek God. He's showing us the fruit, what will happen. This is how you'll know you're seeking God. You'll become more discerning. You'll become more graceful. And if you're not becoming those things, then tonight is an opportunity to go, all right, something's got to change. I'm not seeking God with all my heart. I'm seeking God with half my heart. And the half is, I want to be Christian. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to do what God is telling me to do. We've got to be careful of that. So, Father, we come before you as double dippers.
And like Enoch, we want to walk with you. And we don't know if that means you'll rapture us out of the problem or have us build an ark. We just want to be faithful and seek you like Enoch did. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. Would you just evaluate based on these first three things where you're at? Well, I've been saved 30 years, but are you still stuck in that sin? Are you still calling good evil and evil good? Are you legalistic and judgmental? Just stop for a moment and just evaluate. Lord, thank you for Enoch. I pray for those that raise their hands that are walking through a trial. A human being made it for 365 years in a godless world. And he even in that godless world wrote a book to warn people despite the fact he was going through a trial. So I pray, Lord, that our lives would be a spiritual letter to the world. Judgment's coming. And I pray that our grace, our discernment would be evidence that we're seeking you in a godless age. If we've not made you our priority, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Because even at Christmas time, it can become about festivity instead of about a birth. So we just stop for just a minute. And just let us, in songs of holiness, we know that you're holy. So Lord, we're seeking you now. And if we failed before, would you renew our faith? Would you revive our spirits? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.